Hello and welcome to the Success Secret Podcast with Rosso Santalev. I am excited to introduce you to a series of conversations with some of the most successful and inspiring individuals from various industries. My aim is to dive into the stories behind their success and explore the knowledge, strategies, habits, mindsets, and wisdom that have propelled their success. Each episode of the Success Secret Podcast will feature a different guest who will share their unique journey, the challenges they faced, and the lessons they have learned along the way. I will also be covering topics from entrepreneurship and innovation to leadership and personal development. Whether you are an inspiring entrepreneur, a seasoned business professional, or just someone looking to improve your life, the Success Secret Podcast is for you. My goal is to bring you valuable insights and inspiration that will help you achieve your own success in business and life. So get ready to learn and be inspired. The Success Secret Podcast starts now. In this episode, I'm speaking with Dana Miranda. She is a certified educator in personal finance and founder of Healthy Rich, a platform for inclusive budget-free financial education. She has written about work and money for publication, including Forbes, New York Times, CNBC, Insider, and the column for Inc. Magazine. Dana, welcome to the Success Secret Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. So Dana, first of all, a little bit about you, your story. How did you get into personal finance? So I started as a writer. Um, I started as a freelance writer around 10 years ago, a little over that now. Um, And I was just kind of getting by um, with a really low income as a freelancer, trying to figure it out. I didn't quite know how to be a professional writer, um, but I was just it was what I enjoyed doing. So I was just trying to figure out how to make a life around it. And I eventually applied for a job with a personal finance media startup. And I didn't know anything about personal finance at the time. Um, I was just looking for writing work and someone in my network um, that I really enjoyed working with was being hired full time with this startup and was building out an editorial team. And I was excited to work with her and the other people who were going to be on the team. So I applied for the job and I thought, um, I'll give it some time. Personal finance is probably going to be really boring, but it'll be a good opportunity to get a job. Um, and I'll, I'll enjoy working with the people and we'll see how it goes. And as soon as I started doing it, I really fell in love with the subject matter. We were approaching it from a really fun angle. So we were able to um, kind of bring our voices into it, some character and make it fun and relatable for people. And I really enjoyed doing that and digging into these really complex topics and explaining them for people and making them a lot less scary because so much of how our financial systems work and just sort of like what we're supposed to do with money is really scary for people. So it was a great experience to learn myself everything that I didn't know about money and then also to break it down for people and to see kind of how that could help people and and reduce a lot of stress. So I just stuck with it after that. I was in that full-time job for four years um, and then started freelancing still writing about personal finance and some personal development. And then, so those interests started to kind of intertwine. um, And I realized that there was um, not a lot of diversity in the voices in personal finance. Um, Mm -hmm. We hear a lot from, especially people in the middle class, but in particular um, white men in the middle class telling us kind of the right ways to manage money. Um, And it ends up not being 
totally relevant for everyone because their experiences aren't relevant. So the lessons that they've learned that they're passing on aren't always relevant for everyone. And uh, it can make a lot of people feel excluded who are already very kind of excluded and discriminated against in our financial systems. So I started Healthy Rich to make a space to share more of those stories and invite in more of those voices. And so I'm taking it uh, moving on this year to extend um, some of those resources into the classroom by working with educators and um, creating some some classroom resources for people so, to teach financial education. So now, financial education now, like I mentioned, it could be some scary topic for some people. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people give advice about financial uh, freedom and whatever it is that you can do to be free financially. But actually, fi- being financially free is something that has a lot of things to it, a lot of aspect to it. So uh, in your opinion, being a personal educator in finance, what is the first things people should do like to take control of their finances? Because like we know, most of people, I assume a lot of us in this category, like we get certain amount of money and somehow we don't know how to manage these these, uh, revenues. Yeah, so I always start with examining your relationship with money. I think that's a big piece that's left out. We sort of talk about um, money and budgeting and finances and income as just kind of these like columns on a spreadsheet um, and think of them as really separate from like everything else that's going on in our lives. But actually it's completely intertwined with like our mental health and our physical health and our, you know, what we enjoy doing day to day and our relationships with other people and our families and money is part of all of the things that we do all day. Um, Just kind of like our, you know, any other relationship in our life kind of um, the, has a really nuanced effect on on what we do all day. So I would say start by examining that relationship to figure out uh, what do you want money to do in your life? What is a joyful way for you to earn money? Um, Where are you experiencing friction with money where you could maybe add some ease? So start in those kind of places where you're really dealing with like the relationship and the ways that you feel about it and the ways that you want to feel about it. Um, and how you interact with money and how money interacts with kind of your life day to day um, before moving on to the more sort of structured, like financial goals and decisions that you have to make day to day with money, because that gives you a good foundation for how to approach it. So you understand um, rather than just taking a rule of like, here's how much money I should be spending or how much money I should be earning or how much I should, you know, this percentage I should be saving. Um, You're starting with the relationship that you want to have with money and um, having a better understanding of how those decisions affect the whole of your life. Yeah. So speaking of the relationship with money, like, is it something that we are affected by when we are like children? Because when we talk about relationship, it comes, I guess it comes when we are growing up thoughts from our parents, people we are around. So how do you, te- how can people deal with that aspect if there is a negative voice around money or there is no money for someone growing up, which is like most people in the world, I guess. So, mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I think it's just like kind of anything else 
about our whole personhood as we're growing up that we're very influenced by the people around us, the adults around us, the culture and the religion that we're um, brought up in and the, and the values that those, you know, instill in us and um, the experiences that we have with money and the trauma that we might experience around money or things, you know, related to money and things like that. So that's why I say, you know, kind of start with that base because stripping that down and starting to ask yourself some questions to reflect, like just really simple things to get into kind of what you were talking about. So when you were a kid, what kinds of things did you hear from the adults around you about money? How did people view someone who had a lot of money or how did people view someone who didn't have a lot of money? Um, And what did what kinds of goals were your parents pursuing? What kinds of goals did they instill in you? Um, How do you feel when you think about money? How do you feel when other people talk about money? So start to kind of break down and get into those really personal questions. Um, You can like have a conversation with someone to talk through it, do some journaling as um, a a lot of the ways that I like to reflect. Um, This time of year can be a really good time of year for that as well. Um, To start to dig in a little bit and see what those messages are that you're carrying about money. And then you can take it a step further to start to understand day to day with some elevated mindfulness, because you're more aware of that stuff, like how it's impacting the decisions that you make about money. Um, Like you mentioned, a lot of people growing up in poverty um, or uh, even paycheck to paycheck, just money always being tight, always being really present in your life. A lot of people then in adulthood, regardless of uh, what your resources are as an adult, even if you move beyond that kind of poverty status, a lot of people operate with a scarcity mindset and still continue to use money as if it's very scarce um, and as if they may never, you know, get a paycheck again because they were taught to believe that those are uh, scarce and may disappear at any time. And so if you spend some time reflecting on that, you can understand that that affects how you're spending money and saving money and how you're working and the decisions that you're making about work and um, start to decide like which of those messages and beliefs do you want to drop and how can you um, how can you put those down and, and what do you want to pick up and move forward with? So, so like now people who want to like put money aside, like, because most of, most of us, like you mentioned, paycheck to paycheck. So for example, I hear a lot about the, this price of the cup of coffee every day. So these, does these things we should do, we have to watch out for our each and every expense that we spend money on, especially ones like this, that could be not important at all. Maybe it's a habit, maybe, I don't know, maybe someone likes to buy coffee in the morning or whatever, but does these things affect our financial future? I don't think so. Um, There's, you know, there's no empirical kind of answer to that, but that (laughs) kind of like admonition and that kind of advice is part of what I call budget culture, which is a way of teaching money and interacting with money that relies on restriction and deprivation and really focuses on that individual kind of blame. So it leans on advice like that, where it's really easy to just tell someone to stop buying a latte every day or to buy um, 
less clothes or cheaper clothes or to not go out to eat to make dinner at home. Uh, it ignores all of those nuances and and the diversity of our relationships with money that I was talking about. So someone giving that advice, it might be very easy to drop that particular expense and they might realize now I have $40 more in my um, resources every month that I can spend on something else. But for someone else, like like you said, it might be the one kind of joy, the one thing that sort of keeps you going, attaching yourself to that habit might be really good for your mental health and kind of help you get through each day. So there's a, a lot of reasons outside of just sort of your budgeting spreadsheet that you might be making certain decisions with your money that you have to take into account. Um, and so it's not just that simple of sort of just dropping one expense or moving expenses around, things like that. So that's why I say you have to start with uh, your relationship with money to understand how those, you know, how you're making those decisions and how changing them can affect the whole of your life. Yeah, you should think and plan ahead. So this is one of the most important things, especially in finance. So now, for example, like you also mentioned, passions. So this is something I had to do, for example, for someone who wants to do a business or they are in business. So how should people look at how they can get more revenues? Should they look at, for example, like yourself, like you did, how did you start healthier, healthier rich, right? So is it a way to look inside themselves and look for their own passions so they can develop these certain skills and get more income streams? Like, for example, would that be a good way to look at it and get more financial freedom, I did say? That's a great place to start. That's kind of how I've always been driven is like, what am I driven to do? And then how can I make that the way that I spend my life? Um, and that usually requires, you know, some kind of income because I need income to live. I'm not independently wealthy or whatever. Um, so I decide sort of what I want my day to look like and how I can fit earning money into that. Um, and I try to let that be driven by the things that I am interested in. So like I, you know, um, came to personal finance and became really passionate about that. Um, and I worked for more than two years, primarily as a freelance writer, writing about personal finance um, and enjoyed that for a while. And I enjoy, always enjoy writing in general, but I found in that work that it was no longer fulfilling me in the way that I was looking for, because I wasn't able to do the thing that I loved about personal finance, which was that kind of connecting with people, sharing their stories, um, giving people that moment of like, you're not alone and you're okay. Like you're not wrong kind of thing that so much of personal finance makes you feel that a lot of the work I was doing had started to feel like the opposite of all of that and really kind of reinforcing budget culture. And so I moved into starting to build out Healthy Rich, um, first as more of a media brand and now um, with the educational resources so that I can continue to work in this space that I love um, and do it in a way that feels really fulfilling and right for me. And as I do that, um, I'm kind of doing the entrepreneurial thing of saying like, what is missing out there and how can I fill that void? I think that's really, and then once you determine that, ask yourself, will you enjoy doing the work that re it requires to fill that void? Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of times you just kind of have to try it and find out. But yeah, I, I think that's definitely a great place to start. Yeah. So what 
What would you say, for example, the best advice, financial advice, have you heard from anyone uh, throughout your your journey? Um, that's a great question. I so I just I recently um, discovered someone uh, who's not a financial expert, but um, her name is Kendra, and she has a podcast and a brand called The Lazy Genius, um, where she talks about. Um, being, I, I, I'm concerned I'm going to, because I'm new to her brand, I might, I might butcher her um, tagline, but she talks about being a uh, genius about what matters and lazy about what doesn't. Um, and I think that's such a brilliant way to approach money. Um, a lot of times we get advice about like the sort of list of the right things to do with your money. And we have this kind of checklist and spreadsheet of things that we have to follow. And it is so much and so stressful um, to feel like you're doing the right things and doing what you're supposed to be doing. And I think if you can just pull out what matters to you and how to create the experience you want and achieve what you want with your money and then let the rest of it go, you can really reduce a lot of stress and worry by dropping all of those things that some people might say you should be doing. So I really love that um, approach. She talks a lot about much more than just money, um, but I I really immediately kind of gravitated toward it and and love that very simple, clear cut kind of way of saying, um, put effort into the things that you care about and let the rest um, drop so that you can free your mind and your time and your effort and your energy um, to be focused on the things that matter and to just sort of enjoy your life otherwise. Yeah, it's like that's like we were talking earlier about passion, like because if you develop certain skills like you did in that, having better skills with time will like raise the bar for you to, for example, if you want to, in your business, if you are in business, you can charge more, you can get more clients, mm-hmm. whatever it is, the umbrella gets bigger, the the better the better you get in what you do, more people will come into you for your help, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that that has been my experience. That was how I was able to grow my business as a freelance writer, was focusing on where I was putting my time and energy and what I was getting back mm. for that and real, you know, being able to really clearly see. Uh, what wasn't paying off as well and dropping those clients and and seeking more of the ones, you know, that kind of fit into the pool of what I enjoyed doing and what was paying well. Um, and so I was able to get down to spending less time doing work for more money, which was mm-hmm. so, um, very free. So, yeah, exactly. So now, like, for example, when we talk in general about money and work, we get stressed. We worry about work or about money or about a lot of things. So, for example, for someone who's keep thinking about money negatively every time, and they have this kind of like there is abundance in the world, right? Like th- there is a lot of things mm-hmm. that should should everyone can have, right? So, how can you think someone can push the negativity away and start thinking pos- in a positive way in regards whether to their work in general, like you do as an entrepreneur, or for money, for example. Mm-hmm. I think you hit on something really powerful when you mentioned abundance, that there's a lot that you can draw from spiritual teachings and practices and um, beliefs to 
add some ease to your relationship with money and and the way that you kind of interact with money. Um, and an abundance mindset is a, a great place to start it, because it can add a lot of, can reduce a lot of that stress and add a lot of peace. Um, a lot of fear and stress around money is just about their it feeling like there's a finite amount of money in the world um, and and a finite amount of money available to you. And that's really doesn't prove to be true for anyone. Um, you can also um, pull from a lot of um, a lot of traditions believe that we don't necessarily own money or possessions, but that we're more stewards of them. We're sort of just carrying these things through the world. Um, and that can also add some peace. It really does for me to think that, um, to just not feel possessive over something and, and not feel like if I'm giving money away, if I'm spending money on something that it's a loss to me, but that it's just the next step that I'm taking to steward that money to wherever it needed to go next. And so, um, and then I also recommend, um, like, mindfulness activities. So I mentioned journaling earlier um, as a writer, that's kind of my go-to, um, but like journaling, yoga, meditation, prayer, whatever kind of gives you that moment of peace, even if it is just a moment, a couple of minutes can be to build a practice like that um, is hugely beneficial in every aspect of your life, including your relationship with money. I think you will see the same kind of benefits in the ways, the beliefs that you hold around money and the ways that you interact with it as you do in sort of your day-to-day, -day, like the way that you approach work and the way that you approach interpersonal relationships and um, the way that you respond to stressors and things in life, that it also impacts the way that you view money in your life, that level of mindfulness. So pulling from those practices that maybe don't explicitly talk about money a lot, but that really affect your whole personhood, um, have a huge impact on your relationship with money and can reduce that stress um, because it's usually not caused by some material um, sort of like physical um, situation. A lot of times it's like, it's internal, it's stress that is being created because of what you believe about money and the messages that you've received about it. So now for people, for example, who have money aside, do you help them, for example, on how to, let's say, grow it or invest in certain areas? And how do you do that, for example, if you do it? And what are the best areas for people in general, do you, in your opinion, do you think are the best investable areas? I'm not a financial advisor, so I don't help people directly with um, where to invest money, that you would look for a certified financial planner um, or another kind of um, investment specialist for that kind of advice for your individual situation. Um, so I work more with people on that kind of relationship and planning side than on the investment side. But what I do know, um, based on advice from experts, um, and from my own experience is the first thing that I would say about investing money is that uh, investing in the stock market isn't an inevitable move. It's definitely the first go-to, um, but I always like to remind people of that just because uh, stock market investing isn't aligned with everybody's values, um, depending on sort of how you feel about the way that companies make their money and the way that they're um, you know, just company practices around treatment of workers and things that um, investing in the stock market can really perpetuate a lot of the the things that we don't 
appreciate about capitalism. And so, and uh, financial advice often just makes you feel foolish if you decide not to do that um, because it's sort of considered free money in like your 401k or something, even a simple investment. So um, a lot of financial advisors will will make you feel like you're not smart if you don't make that move. And I just always want to say that like, if it doesn't feel right for you, don't, don't use your money in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, if it does, um, especially if you know you're investing in like a 401k with an employer or an IRA for retirement, those are usually kind of the simplest like uh, inroads for people in investing. That um, to sort of shut out most advice about like specific stock picks or like how to kind of actively trade stocks. That's usually um, research has shown that that's not usually um, the most kind of advantageous way of investing your money. And especially for people who don't do it professionally, that specific stock picking is really hard to do. It's it's pretty much impossible to predict exactly how companies are going to fare in the short and long term. Um, but even the studies have shown that even professional um, traders don't tend to outperform sort of the market as a whole. And so experts recommend investing in index funds, which are really basic kind of baskets of stocks that track the performance of all the companies in a particular stock index, like the S&P 500. Um, And if you want to learn more about that, just Google index funds, and you can kind of get like how to invest in them and and get those sorts of details. Um, But that's generally the, the direction that I um, recommend sort of as a whole is to like understand those particulars about the stock market and that things like um, investment apps that kind of claim to democratize investing, but like encourage people to do these particular, you know, individual stock picks are not, um, are not really that helpful for people who are trying to build wealth. To me and the success of the audience, something that we would be surprised to know about you. I've been asked this question before, and the thing that always comes to mind is that I was a cheerleader in high school, (laughs) which is, it's not something I ever talk about. So I guess that's why it feels surprising. Um, I think also because I went into journalism and I, so I can be a very skeptical person. Like I'm pretty positive and optimistic, but I don't have a super cheery disposition. Um, and, uh, don't and I read as like a huge nerd. So when I was when I was in high school, I was a cheerleader for a couple of years, and I really enjoyed it. Um, I have a a couple of my nieces now are cheerleaders in in elementary school, and I still love to go to the competitions. And so I kind of have this like weird affinity for cheerleading. Ooh, that's amazing. It's, I guess it's <laughs> fun. <laughs> yeah. So speaking, like I mentioned, books. So what do you think are the best books or recommended books that you would? uh say to people you should read that so for entrepreneurs um i just read at the beginning of i guess it was 2022 about a year ago um jenny blake's free time just came out um and that is something i would recommend for anyone uh it's literally free, about freeing your time like just as we talked about earlier it's a really um her entire philosophy behind the book um and she has a podcast of the same name uh, really talks about how to free your time uh, so that you can do your best work, but without this just 
feeling kind of necessity for burnout that we all, um, the, the message that we all often get in hustle culture. Um, so I would recommend that for any, any entrepreneurs. Um, and as far as personal finance, um, I'm still trying to find the right book that it doesn't feel like it's, um, kind of bathed in, in budget culture. So I think I'm going to, um, I'm going to take a pass on that one and, and keep looking, (laughs) but I actually would recommend I, a lot of what I learned about budget culture and um, the way that I approach money was through learning about diet culture. So I would recommend um, the book, the anti-diet for kind of understanding that approach, um, what, what the book talks about and, and the, what the author teaches is very parallel to the way that I talk about budget culture and the ways that I approach money. So I have found a lot of kind of anti-diet culture, um, media to be really helpful in learning about a better way to approach money. So then where can people get in touch with you, visit your blog? The best place is to go to healthyrich.co that will take you to our Substack where um, we publish the blog and um, we publish stories from contributors, like I said, trying to incorporate those voices from uh, that we don't hear enough in personal finance media. And that's the best place to stay in touch. You can read the blog there or subscribe for free um, to follow along with all those stories and my podcast, Make Money Better, which um, covers the same topic. Awesome. Well, thank you, Dana, for being here today with me on this episode of the Success Grid podcast. Yep. Thanks so much for having me. This was fantastic. Thank you for listening to this episode of Success Grid. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you found value in the show, rate and leave a review on iTunes. For more resources, visit successgrid.net. Until next time.